We are super excited to announce that 11FS will be at next month's Money 2020 Europe event over in Amsterdam. We have loads of cool things lined up, including a couple of podcasts and even a run club for those who really want to burn off all of those waffles. You could also swing by stand K08, where our 11FS Pulse team will be showing everyone what best-in-class UX looks like with our industry-leading product catalogue from every corner of financial services. They'll be hosting live demos throughout the event, so be sure to swing by and say hey. See you in Amsterdam. Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Kate Moody, Strategy Director here at LemonFS. In this episode, we are celebrating US Black History Month by discussing civil inequality in the banking system and shining a light on some of the individuals and organizations trying to change it. Conversations around inclusion are much bigger than just banking. It's a systemic problem which has always existed and still remains a very real issue today. Though civil injustice may not be as outwardly barbaric or as visceral as it inevitably once was, it remains an issue that continues to be hugely damaging to countless individuals and communities around the world. So I'm hoping today to tackle this head on with an expert panel who I'm super excited to kind of learn from. We will discuss how and why non-white communities are being underserved by traditional banks. We will celebrate some of the work being done already to tackle that. And we'll look at how we can harness fintech for good to drive meaningful change into the future. Firstly, a massive hello to Rodney Williams, co-founder at Solo Funds. Welcome to the show, Rodney. So glad to have you joining us today. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and, and what you're doing at Solo, please? Well, number one, it's an it's a absolute pleasure to, to be here. Uh, I'm Rodney Williams, co-founder and president at Solo Funds. Um, Solo is a community finance platform that allows people to lend and borrow from each other. Um, our, our stint, uh, you know, we had a shared experience of our friends and family needing access to capital. Um, but we also had friends and family that when they did have capital, there was no way to grow it. So we felt like bringing this community together uh, for something that was mutually beneficial, where one party can get capital when they need it, and then another party can grow the capital you do have. So thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We're also delighted to welcome Jamelia Greer, founder and CEO at Bytebout and a tech lawyer. Thank you so much for joining us, Jamelia. Um, again, please could you give us a bit of background about yourself and what you focus on, please? Sure. And thank you so much for having me on today, Kate. So as you mentioned, I'm a technology and data lawyer. I'm based in Dubai, but I'm from the U.S. And I'm also the founder and CEO of ByteBow, which is a Web3 legal ecosystem. And our whole mission is to protect and promote Web3 technology for social good. And we do that through consulting and through content and also through bringing about community. Awesome stuff. Well, again, thank you for giving up your time to come and share your perspectives with us. Looking forward to getting your takers as we work through today. Um, and finally, joining us this week is Asia Bradley, founder and angel investor. Hello, welcome to the show. Um, again, please introduce yourself to our listeners and, and let them know a bit about you. Thank you, Kate. Um, really pumped to be sharing this uh, this stage here with Jamilia and Rodney, two amazing powerhouses that clearly have been at this for a long time. Um, I'm a founder um, of a company called Kinley, which was a neobank focused on Black America. It was just recently acquired um, by Greenwood, another incredible financial institution focused on um, on Black America. Um, I'm also an angel investor, and I focus my investments on um, your typically underrepresented founders. 
So think, um, you know, any minority class that you would see out there, but also um, think about the intersectionality of diversity as well. Fantastic. Well, yeah, as I said at the top, really looking forward to, to kind of learning from all three of you and kind of hearing about the work that you're doing. So thanks for joining um, and, and let's dive in. So I suppose to start us off, you know, it's hard to fully appreciate the you know amazing work that you're all doing without first understanding the big picture, because some people might be listening to this show thinking, you know, civil rights was something that got sorted in the 60s. So um, Rodney, I'll come to you first. I think obviously we wouldn't be recording this episode full stop if we were in a fully equal society. So, you know, what is the equality gap that exists and, and how big is it? Well, I think uh, according to, you know, if we think about the wealth gap, um, and I know, I know there was a recent Brookings study. I mean, it's, it's, largest, it's larger than it's ever been, um, at least in our, our near history and our young history. Um, and, and, and so, of course, there's an inequality gap. And I think when you think about that gap as it relates to, to the finances, um, and that's like someone's livelihood, um, whether that's aspirational, meaning their ability to grow their wealth or the ability to accomplish the dreams that they need to, um, when you have inequality at the finance level or the class level, it's always going to be a major problem for, 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 for all of us. And, and I think that's, that's currently what we face and that's currently what we see. And I can't tell you how many stories uh, or problems. I think, you know, being, uh, you know, a FinTech founder over the past, um, you know, five plus years, um, the biggest challenge that I've seen is a lot of the initiatives and the resources that have been designed to address that wealth gap haven't worked. And that's just a fact. So it's actually gotten worse. And when you think about, well, maybe innovation can do it. Well, but, you know, when you look at this administration and you look at the current CFPB and the current regulatory environment and the current VC environment, all of my you know, founders that I knew three, four years ago that were five years ago that were focused on financial inclusion and bringing innovative products that are trying to close that wealth gap, they're no longer here. They've been wiped out by the current administration, by the current regulatory environment, by the current um, Silicon Valley environment. They've been currently wiped out. There has been nothing helpful here. And so that to me, there's no shock that it's worse. We all know that we cannot count on the large banks and the large credit card companies to, to create products for everyone, create mortgages for everyone. That is a fact. They won't, they will not, and they never have. They're not incentivized to do so. The only way that we're going to ever try to address this gap is by finding founders who, who have this kind of connected purpose to, to drive some change with new types of products, and they need to be supported. Um, and, and, and I don't know when that's going to happen. Uh, so yeah, so a lot of head nodding there as as Rodney was talking. Do, do you recognize that picture? Like how what how do you see the problem? Yeah, I mean, so I I'll I'll take it a step back to even just starting with the definition of financial inclusion, right? Um, World Bank considers financial inclusion as something that individuals and businesses have to have access to useful and affordable financial products and services that meet their needs. But they're really just looking at ability to transact, make payments you know, a savings account, credit insurance, right? And so that's what they say. Um, and then you've got McKinsey that is talking about, you know, financial inclusion being when everyone can access financial services. So they take it a little bit, st uh, one step further. So accessing those financial services, but being able to build wealth, 
right? And I think that's a really key distinction. Um, I'll take it even a step further and say, I'm not fighting for financial inclusion anymore. I'm fighting against financial exclusion, right? Um, and I think that's what we're seeing a lot of in America. And so, you know, the World Bank, for example, has done a lot of work um, around financial inclusion globally. And so even though we're seeing an improvement, so in terms of like the overall global wealth and income gap has narrowed since the 1980s, the inequality has actually increased within the more advanced countries. So like America. So you're seeing that disparity actually growing here. Um, so as of like 2016, the average Black American family had only about one-tenth the wealth of the average white American family. One-tenth, right? Um, and so it's not talking about just do we, you know, as a Black community have access? Are we being included? No, we're actually being actively excluded. No, that's, I think that's critical, yeah, to kind of ground us in, in those definitions. Um, Jamelia, obviously you work outside of the US, you kind of have a, maybe a slightly more international perspective. Are there any other challenges or particular problems that, that you've observed or you've experienced? Well, I, I think it's safe to start out and say that discrimination and bias exists all over this world um, for people of different groups and for different reasons. But what I've experienced having lived both in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. is that financial exclusion, as Asya mentioned, is, is real uh, for the U.S. But outside of the U.S., there are less of those systems and policies and deep-rooted traditions that tend to promote and perpetuate the financial exclusion. So as a Black American that's living abroad um, in terms of raising capital, in terms of having equal access to certain financial products, it's just more accessible. And so that's why I'm always promoting having a global mindset and really looking outside of the U.S., in addition to looking within the U.S., but keeping that open mind to see what opportunities exist outside the U.S. borders. And Rodney, obviously you've focused at Solo on on that kind of financing or those access, that access to credit. So I wonder, could you give us a bit of an insight into the problems, particularly within the lending space? Because, I, you know, obviously there's, issues across the financial spectrum, but um, I'm keen to kind of break down some specific areas in particular. So what are the main problems or challenges that I suppose, you are seeking to, to solve through, through Solo? Yeah, you know, as we have uh, progressed as a company, there's like a couple of things that I, I tend to focus on. And, and I, I will tell you probably the most important theme, and I'll summarize both of those things into one, is that I, I do think it's, it may be much more about class, and what I'm really referring to is that our financial system, our lending system across the world actually, actually um, tends to try to focus on building products, financial products for people who have money, right? And then um, they don't build products for people who don't have money. So if there's any, um, in, in, in other cultures where they believe you do have money, you're now in that class of the financial system. Um, and in the US, we tend to exclude a large group of Americans because they do have limited money, right? Um, and, and what that means is, for example, from an investment bank standpoint, investment banks across the US have, have minimum wealth thresholds where they won't manage your money, 
right? Because they deem you do not have enough uh, to, to, to manage, right? So that means you will never have access to the wealth building um, uh, epic center of our, of our financial system. You know, um, if you bank at a, a, a large retail bank in the United States, Bank of America or Wells Fargo, you name it, um, it you have to have minimum deposits. The, the higher your minimum deposits, the more services you get, the more, the more things that you get to, to encourage wealth building. And, and, and the list goes on. So there's no difference to when you get to like credit and, and, and what happens in, 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 in America. What I like to say is that like, I'm talking about the vast Americans. Most Americans, um, working class Americans are working. They have, they're gainfully employed, but they have inconsistent cash flow and inconsistent income. They may not be a salary employee. Um, they could be an hourly employee. Um, but they also are, you know, highly ambitious and aspirational. That means they could be a, a waitress on, on certain parts of the week. They could also drive Uber and they may be a DJ and a graphic designer. That is the, what the American consumer really looks like across at, at scale. And that inconsistency, um, most companies, um, exploit. So that's late fees. That's junk fees. That's all of the things that you, that you may penalize someone for. Um, but in reality, we should be providing that group. Um, capital so that they can smooth out the inconsistencies so they can manage the emergency or the child may get sick and I no longer can go to work and for those hours. And that's called access to capital, right? Our platform is taking an approach of providing that access to capital from other people that are very similar. What we also figured out about this same group of Americans is that they do, there's a, there's, in different seasons of their life, they will have savings. Not a lot. Maybe it's a few thousand, maybe it's a couple ten thousand, um, but they're not growing that money. So if, you know, if I'm a dad and I had five thousand dollars sitting in my account, roughly three years later, I still just had five thousand dollars sitting in my account. That same group is now lending, and that five thousand dollars is creating yield, ten percent per year, twenty percent per year, and all of a sudden they're now growing the money they have, so that when they have an emergency, they now can get themselves out of it. That's been our approach. Um, we have largely grown with very, very limited venture capital, not because of some fancy pitch or nifty marketing. It's just people helping people. It's working. And the vast majority of Americans within a 12-month time period will need a product like this. And, 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 and I, I like to think of it, it's, it's, it's one of the few products that are actually designed for like working class real Americans, people who actually need a product that actually serves them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you said, I want to get your perspective on something Rodney said earlier about, you know, the fact that the current ecosystem doesn't support founders. Like, but we've seen some some founders from underserved communities kind of struggle to survive. Obviously, as as an investor, we're keen to get your perspective. Like, do you do you think there's a real issue in in that part of financial services too? There is absolutely. Um, I mean, it's it's a fact that funding um, to the Black founder community has dropped. It, it's actually dropped um, post-George Floyd. So I, there was a bit of an uptick um, immediately following uh, the murder of George Floyd. And then um, I think in the last year or so, um, it's dropped again. So the reports, I don't know the numbers offhand, um, but I read a report last year of the state of um, capital funding being provided to, to startup founders, and, and it has dropped. It's dropped for women, 
um, it has dropped for, um, uh, you know, uh, Latin A um, founders as well. So it's just overall funding for, you know, typically underfunded founders has dropped even further. So it's gotten worse. Um, but I did want to pick up on something um, that Rodney was talking about in terms of, you know, access to capital and and how Americans, you know, are not really even able to make some of the basic expenses. So like a recent McKinsey survey, they did a survey of 25,000 Americans and they found that only half of them would be able to cover expenses for more than two months if they lost their job. Uh, and that's why, you know, what Solo does is actually, you know, find that bridge, that moment where if people are in that tight spot, you know, they can reach out to their community. And it's something that black and brown communities have been naturally doing. Um, you know, I'm I'm from Pakistan. Um, that's where I was born. And, and you know, I've, I've lived in a lot of, you know, eastern, southern uh, countries where this just became a natural thing. The community took care of each other. Um, and if you look at also our major financial institutions today, they actually grew out of that sense of community. So when I look at Solo, I see a future Goldman Sachs, right? Um, Goldman Sachs came out of the whole idea of everybody, you know, when, when, when Jewish people moved to the U.S., um, there was a lot of anti-Semitism. Nobody wanted to work with the Jews. Nobody wanted to provide lending opportunities or anything. They didn't want to bank them. And so they were like, fine, we're just going to work with ourselves. We'll work amongst ourselves. And they did. And they created this incredible institution. And that's, you know, this is sort of what we're seeing. And then all of these communities, you have that like Isusu system, you know, in Africa, you have the committee, the, the kitty bank um, in, in South Asian communities. Um, so this is just making it more of a safe, organized way where the community can help each other. Um, but there is some promising stuff. I don't know if Jamilia and Rodney, you saw this in terms of um, the CFB, CFPB um, unveiled a plan that Joe Biden had about overdraft fees and dropping them to as little as three dollars. Um, because like that's a whole other thing that I think we can talk about in terms of it really is the most um you know, the the the, the people that can least afford to pay um these really crazy high fees of sometimes $35 um that they just do not have. Those are the folks that are being hit right with these overdraft fees yeah no i think absolutely you can kind of see that those most punitive parts of the kind of financial system are definitely like over skewing towards these types of communities um i think the point you make around communities is really interesting because that was precisely what i was trying to work out in my own head like prior to recording was what we've seen in financial services as a whole with the rise of digital is yeah everything moving into the online space people having you know, in theory, access to you know, instant, convenient, potentially kind of, you know, safer online services, but removing some of these physical you know, touch points, you know, these we've seen in the US in particular, you know, the, the challenges that community and smaller banks have faced, you know, people are actually moving away from physical branches or community-based branching, branch banking you know, onto online platforms. And I was trying to work out in my head, like, has this helped or has this actually made things harder? Um, Jamelia, I don't know, what, what do you think? Has the rise of digital banking helped these communities or, or created additional obstacles? 
Well, I think digital banking, but particularly Web3 and, and cryptocurrencies have opened a whole new door of opportunities for people to understand about how money can flow across borders, how it can be exchanged with less fees across borders, particularly for groups and populations that need to send money back home to family that may be located in other countries. And so we've we've seen that in terms of this decentralization, meaning that data is not owned by one particular company. It's decentralized. It's on a blockchain or a decentralized ledger where everyone can have access to it. And that opens up opportunities for people. But I, I still think it all goes back to the premise of, are we really looking at our full potential? Um, a few years ago, there was a movement called Blacksit, and it was a movement about a bunch of Black Americans and hundreds of Black Americans really moving outside of the U.S. to pursue greater financial freedom and greater financial wealth abroad. And I'm continuing to see that pattern, but I'm also seeing that that coupled with Web3 and decentralization has brought some very interesting trends of Black Americans creating opportunities for themselves abroad, but also other people from the African diaspora continuing to, to migrate and to move to other countries and create opportunities for themselves. So it is interesting how digital currency can really help, um, but I think it really has to be coupled with this change in mindset is that we are all interconnected and really you are just limited by the mindset that you have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and obviously, we're we're here to, you know, recording this show to mark your Black History Month. Um, you you are all sort of important individuals, you know, representing your communities. Like, what what does Black History Month like mean to you and your companies? Like, what do you kind of want to use this month to achieve, Rodney? Yeah, you know, I think for 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 us, you know, we we just want to continue to do what we do and and, and do our best. Um, for for a Black founder. Um, it's, it's, it's one part, like, you know, we're just happy to be here and be able to provide a solution that we believe is the right solution. And we got to continue to advocate and we have to continue to promote and we got to continue to, to spread the, the information that we have uh, about serving consumers that we need to serve. And I think that's going to be our goal. And that's just, what's going to continue. Um, unfortunately, you know, there's so many even new, uh, opposite, uh, you know, forces against us at this right now. Right. And, and I just think I'm super aware. We're super aware of that. Um, but let's celebrate some of the good things. I'm extremely happy that we, we got, we got the, you know, the, the ruling um, uh, regarding the, the junk fees. You know, I, my, I, I want to I challenge the administration to figure out how to support these founders uh, that are marginalized. I, I want to challenge them that FinTech is not the enemy you know, Web3, crypto, um, uh, solo funds, right? They, they, we need to figure out how to celebrate um, and tell these stories um, during this month and during this time period. And, and, I, and I know it's very easy to think that everything is about race. Um, I, I like to try to find like the human insight to try to connect to people. And, 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 and at the end of the day, um, whether uh, I'm black or, or, or white, if I'm cash poor, I have the same problem, right? And, and that means I can't afford basic necessities and I don't have the things that I need to thrive. And I believe in that American dream that that group together, we, we need more resources so that we can thrive um, together. So it's not a black problem. It's, a, it's an American problem. 
I think you're right, um, Rodney, in, in highlighting, you know, the lower income problem. Um, I, I read somewhere, I think it was Consumer Reports, that like 8% of bank customers, and most of them are lower income, they account for nearly 75% of the revenue that banks generate from overdraft fees. And that revenue is roughly $9 billion a year, right? So this is lower income folks are paying banks $9 billion a year. Um, banks have collected about $200 billion, $280 billion, right? So $280 billion in overdraft fees in the last 20 years, according to CFPB estimates. That's a lot of money um, that, you know, that 8% of the population of, you know, that consists of mostly lower income folks have been paying. Um, and, and so it just, it's just a lot. It's a lot to be putting on on the, these lower income communities. Having said that, Rodney, it is still, let's be very, very honest about this. The lower income communities generally are a majority black and brown, right? It's the immigrants here. It's it's a lot of the folks that are marginalized. Um, it is, of course, that, you know, the communities of like rural America, where you do have a lot of white Americans, um, but I don't think we should, you know, try to kumbaya it too much, right? Because there, it is still very heavily a a black problem as well. In that, you know, black households, like nearly half of black households, are underbanked. Um, black Americans are also more likely to be served subprime financial products, um, and that's like loans with higher interest rates that increase over time, which make it harder to pay off those loans. Um, so I think it's 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 fair to say it's a lower income issue, but also acknowledging that a large number of our communities fall under that lower income category. Absolutely. Um, okay, I think we've done a, a really good job at outlining the myriad of problems in this space. So I'm going to heed Rodney's, Rodney's request and we're going to take a quick pause here and then we're going to put our celebratory optimistic hats on and, and look at what's already being done and what more we think can be done in the future. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We are super excited to announce that 11FS will be at next month's Money 2020 Europe event over in Amsterdam. We have loads of cool things lined up, including a couple of podcasts and even a run club for those who really want to burn off all of those waffles. You could also swing by Stand K08, where our 11FS Pulse team will be showing everyone what best-in-class UX looks like with our industry-leading product catalogue from every corner of financial services. They'll be hosting live demos throughout the event, so be sure to swing by and say hey. See you in Amsterdam. Welcome back to Fintech Insider Insights, where we are looking at civil inequality, particularly around access to financial services. All of my guests today are playing their part in trying to fight this and change the fabric of financial services, which, as you know, is what we at LMFS are all about. So how do we solve this problem? Um, Jamelia, you know, as you alluded to, you are he heavily focused on the, the Web3 space. Um what what's kind of the key things that you see as you, the optimism for the future? Like what what's keeping you optimistic about how we can change some of these problems that we've been talking about? I think some of the systemic problems that we've been talking about, such as subprime mortgage rates and you know bank fees, all of these things are reduced or minimalized with the introduction of cryptocurrency and mass adoption. 
And one of the barriers that we're hoping to see sort of subside over this year and next year is this onboarding or education into Web3. And if you look at the Web3 space right now, it is very heavily male. Um, you don't see a lot of underrepresented groups in Web3 right now. And so really what we're looking to do is to continue to educate and continue to introduce this sort of content to people so they can actually know what's happening and what the advantages are of learning this now. Uh, it's going to be in your in your iPhone. It's going to be part of your day-to-day -day life. Um, there really is no running away from cryptocurrency. And we saw a couple of weeks ago when the SEC approved the Bitcoin uh, ETF, we see that the regulators are also moving closer to really accepting cryptocurrency in the U.S. And other countries have you know, moved a bit past that, particularly in Singapore and in, in Dubai and other countries have really created regulatory frameworks to embrace innovation in Web3. And the U.S. is somewhat behind in that. But in terms of people such as myself or other underrepresented groups in learning about it, that's going to be key. And that's what I'm really optimistic about for this year. Rodney, what do you want to celebrate or, or call out? Who's helping to make positive moves in this space? I'm guessing, obviously, solo, but you know, I don't, is there anyone else that you want to shine a spotlight on who's doing great stuff? Well, listen, I, I, I firmly believe, I would, literally, we're the largest Black-led consumer fintech ever in the United States. So I think I have a right and a duty to say that Solo is doing the good work. So far in our existence, we've enabled over $275 million of acts of capital to underserved Americans. We've saved them over $30 million in fees. And, and, and our lenders have increased their wealth by $20 million collectively. Um, these are regular people. This is, this is good work, the story that's working. Um, our goal is to continue to push that through whatever opposition may exist. We got to educate regulators. I, I look forward to regulators um, doing the work to understand the progress that's being made and make the right choice. Uh, that's the same message to politicians, the people that are paid to do the good work <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, 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 and I'm looking forward to that. Um, I would also tell you that our pursuit doesn't stop with just the United States. Um, we're going to launch into our first uh, global international market and, 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 and continue to do the good work. Um, we believe here that this is our life's mission and our purpose. Um, and, and, and that's what I'm going to continue to look forward to. No, that's awesome. Are you allowed to tell us where or is it top, still top secret? Oh yeah, no. We we've talked about it. We're gonna we're gonna launch on the on the on the continent of Africa. We're gonna launch first in in, in Nigeria. Um, that's gonna be the first. Um, we have plans to to enter um, Africa as a whole, um, Southeast Asia as well as uh, Latin America. Um, so uh, South America more so specifically, but um, a lot of uh, a lot of good work and a lot of challenges to do it. But we're gonna we, we we're gonna go out and do it. That's awesome. Super exciting. Um, Asya, what are you excited about? Like, what, what do you kind of see as like the, the, you know, the green shoots of, of, of optimism or, or potential to kind of fix on the problems we were talking about before? Um, I mean, super excited about what Rodney and also what Jamelia are building. Um, I think it's amazing. And I've, you know, when I was um, at a, at our very first like bass provider in the world that we, we created at Synapse, it was really exciting because that's where I met folks like Rodney, 
um, building solo funds. And I'm starting to see a lot of these companies um, that at the time were <clears throat> mere seeds, right? It was like a seed, it was a thought, um, and seeing it kind of progress from that to where these companies are now, it's super exciting. Um, I'm, I, Susu, for example, is one of my port co's, um, and I, I met them when they were also at their idea stage, and now they are a unicorn company. Um, and so it's amazing to see the progress um, of these really just tenacious founders that have gotten here without all of the incredible support of the VC community, right? They've really just made it because the product is good, right? It's a really good product. Um, I think that, that, that really excites me. What also excites me, though, is that, you know, I think that there is real um, money to be made by banking everybody. Um, if if America could if America could address this racial wealth gap, um, it could lead to an additional five percent of GDP growth in the United States. I mean, that is a lot of great incentive for the politicians, for the financial institutions to kind of think about. Um, for the in financial institutions specifically, if we had Black Americans, um, if we gave Black Americans access to the same financial products of white Americans. These financial institutions could be getting $2 billion annually in additional revenue, right? Um, and that's, that's amazing. You know, you could have about $60 billion in additional revenue from Black customers every year if we had full wealth parity between Black and white Americans. So when you look at all of that stuff, it's like the incentive is there. And I think a lot of it is just highlighting that in terms of what could America gain if we did this right thing. Um, and if that's not going to happen at that institutional level, it's super exciting to see what's happening at the founder level and with tech being able to enable this. Um, and Jamelia, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see you working in the Web3 space because like you said, it's looking very white right now and it's looking very male right now. Um, and that's not representative of the world that we live in. So we need more people, you know, like Rodney and like Jamelia building in these spaces. For sure. And I suppose I'm keen to kind of get your thoughts on, do you think that opportunity will be seized by by the institutions, by the banks? Will they ever be able to kind of really address kind of this opportunity that you've outlined? Or, or do, do you really see this as a fintech opportunity? So quite honestly, I am all, I've always been a supporter of bank and fintech partnerships. I've had incredible relationships with bank partners. Um, I've, you know, seen where um, bank VCs can can really be a very supportive arm behind the fintech community, and and I'm still very hopeful of that. And I and I see that with the bank VC arms really going out there and looking for the technologies that still meet the compliance needs um, that the bank needs. Right. So I think I think. I'm still very, very hopeful. I think it's still happening. It's just not happening at the speed or with the same visibility. I think a lot of it comes down to visibility. We may not see it as much, um, but it is there. You know, when you look at um, what did what did PayPal just invest in? I can't remember. It was like it was also like a crypto um, thing. Jamelia, you might know about that, but I saw the announcement just like yesterday. Um, but that was pretty exciting too to see like. There's also a fintech, fintech supporting like 
a larger fintech, you know, kind of coming down and pulling up other fintechs. So I am seeing a lot of awesome collaborations in the space. And even just looking at Greenwood acquiring Kinley, right? Um, that that type of collaboration is, is super exciting. And, and I think it is going to happen at the bank, you know, major institutional spaces, um, as well as like amongst fintechs. Um, and Jamina, I suppose just to build on Asu's point, obviously, you know, it is great to see the, the whole community start you in hopefully being better represented how how heavy does that weigh on on you like do you kind of take that role very like how how does that sit on your shoulders i feel like it must be quite a big burden to carry well i i feel as though just being present um and doing the work that i do is enough and you know bite bow is really focused on supporting web3 startups that are for social good they have a social mission We've worked with startups that are, you know, for economic and environmental conservation, such as turtle conservation. Um, and we've worked for startups that are looking at things like real world asset tokenization and making ownership of homes more affordable for your everyday person. And so it really is about going beyond that hype of meme coins and altcoins and really looking to what is the social impact that your project can actually have. And we have seen a race kind of as Asia has, as you've mentioned, is that you have your small startups that are looking to fund themselves through NFT launches and, and things of that nature for their project. But you also have the big boys that are looking to kind of come in, whether it's PayPal or Visa or other traditional companies that are working in the financial space. And so it will be interesting to see. I personally would like to see a lot more of these mission-based companies come forward, which are really just a mission with a company, to come forward and to put, the, put their tech first and to put their mission first so we can see that grow a little bit before we get back to the old ways of centralization, because this is really all about leveling the playing field and making sure that there is enough wealth to go around, enough opportunity to go around as well. And obviously, we focused quite a lot in our discussion so far on the US and some of both like the problems in the US, but also you know, companies like Solo that are um, making great strides. I just wondered from your perspective, you know, are there any particular fintechs or financial partners that you see outside of the US that are also, you know, for our listeners, they should go check them out or they should go look at the work they're doing? Who would you like to give a, a spotlight to? Sure. I, I'm a strong supporter of a lot of these women in tech organizations that are global. Um, so Women in Tech is one. Uh, Dubai Women's Business Council works heavily in the tech space as well and supporting women founders. And what I'm seeing this, in this side of the world is really just a lot of government-led um, initiatives to support women. And rightfully so, it should be done. Um, but it's definitely more present. And I would just give a shout out to them that if any women are looking to start up abroad and they have a background in tech or looking to explore fintech, Web3, anything, um, make sure you look into those resources first. Good shout, good shout. Um, I don't want to kind of get us into into like politics per se, but um, you know, Jamelia sort of alluded to there being some markets where you, there are political positives. Um, how big... A factor will certain political events this year be, Rodney, do you think, on on the sort of success or otherwise of, of organizations that are trying to address these types of problems? Um well I, I think I think there's, you know, transparently, I mean they're they're you know, not just looking at the United States, you know, there's markets around the world that 
uh, I think the administration has done better to promote some of the uh, necessary financial products um, that are more inclusive or more innovative um, for the main purpose. You know, my, my, I, I love countries which it didn't really have the foundation of the bureaucracy and they were able to kind of reinvent um, the financial technology that they would want to exist. My favorite case study is India, right? Um, and 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 the the work and the work that I have learned with with Mohammed Giannis. Uh, so like, I look at Nigeria as the next version of that, where uh, a lot of the bureaucracy there's bureaucracy there, but the, in terms of the financial system, they're going to use technology to accelerate themselves. Um, and and I and I think that's a that's an opportunity. Um, our administration, um, you know, and we're going into a collection year and we look forward to it. I think at the end of the day, um, we're, we're going to continue to be as hopeful as we're always am in terms of, uh, you know, the, 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 the group that will win is the, the group that the American public wants. And I think it's always a result of, of the past couple of years um, that, that pushes a candidate um, to the top. Um, I just hope that whoever is a part or whatever administration lives, um, we figure out how to um, promote technology and, and, and promote innovation and promote the founders who are fixing real problems. Um, and, 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 and my goal, my hope is that um, if we're talking about real problems, then we have to talk about racial problems. Um, and, and it's not because you may um, agree that there's a racial problem, but that economically it's a problem. Back to you know, the points that we made on this call. Um, there's a lot of economic growth for the United States by just treating people the right way. For sure. Um, Asya, if we were going to come back next year and you know, we get to Black History Month again and we record this show again, like what's the main thing that you would have liked to have seen move forwards or or change in the, in the next 12 months? Um, I mean, absolutely want to see a decrease in that, you know, racial wealth disparity. That would be amazing. I would love to see America's GDP grow. I'm an immigrant to the United States. Um, I love being here. I'm a true believer in the American dream. Um, and I see people just working so hard to get it. Um, and I, I just love celebrating those kind of wins. Like, I, I want to see solo funds um, become a unicorn. I want to see um, Jamelia's name, uh, you know, all over the press around the world. I want to see, I want to see this, you know, I want to see podcasts like this, where we start listing out, hey, what did we achieve last year? Let's celebrate those. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm forever hopeful. I, I think that there, there is a lot of uh, room for growth, but that means that there are a lot of opportunities um, and there are a lot of opportunities for partnership. Um, and I would say, you know, I think that really needs to be the focus is, you know, let's not be adversarial, um, you know, between like what do fintechs do versus what do financial institutions not do for us, but rather find that common ground, um, learn from each other, there's a lot that financial institutions can learn from the tech community. And there's so much that the tech community needs to learn um, in terms of compliance, in terms of, you know, regulations, in terms of safety, ultimately, right, for our consumers of fintechs, um, that, that we can only learn from the banks because they've been doing this already for hundreds of years. Um, so I think just, you know, dropping that hubris on all sides and saying, okay, 
but let's figure this out together because the common goal is a stronger America and a stronger world. Sounds like a busy year. Um, fingers crossed. I think um, on that note, I think that that wraps up today's discussion. Could very happily you know, chat about this for, for hours, but you guys are all d- busy doing very important things. So keen to let you get back to your days. Thank you so much for joining me. Where can people find out more about you and, and what you're working on, Jamelia? You can find out more about me on LinkedIn. I'm there a lot and talking about the regulatory updates and essentially what's happening in the world of Web3 and then also on Barely Legal in Web3, the podcast that we that we host. And you can find out more about ByteBow at ByteBow.io. Awesome. Rodney? Well, Rodney B. Williams on, on all social handles, uh, also SoloFunds at SoloFunds.com. And again, really appreciate uh, fintech insider for having this conversation and and getting this incredible group together so thank you no thank you for taking the time and and congratulations to you and the team for, for everything you've built today and continue to build so kudos to you all. um asia what about you where can people find out more about you yeah linkedin is great um please do feel free to connect with me uh and also on twitter my handle is ms asia so m-s-a-s-y-a uh, I am one of those weirdos that actually responds to messages. So, and my DMs are open all the time. Awesome. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn as well, Kate Moody, or you can drop me an email, kate at loanfest.com. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, follow our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us to make it better and helps others to find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media, just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email podcasts at loanfest.com. Thank you very much. Goodbye. We are super excited to announce that 11FS will be at next month's Money 2020 Europe event over in Amsterdam. We have loads of cool things lined up, including a couple of podcasts and even a run club for those who really want to burn off all of those waffles. You could also swing by Stand K08, where our 11FS Pulse team will be showing everyone what best-in-class UX looks like with our industry-leading product catalogue from every corner of financial services. They'll be hosting live demos throughout the event, so be sure to swing by and say hey. See you in Amsterdam.